Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. Awesome. So we're doing this sermon series called One Another. And I want to set our intentions for this sermon series throughout the month of February. Number one is we want to learn what God has to say to us about one another. I don't know about you guys, but in this book right here called the Bible, which is a 66-chapter love note from God filled with self-disclosure statements about himself, There are so many things in this book that teach us how to treat one another. And I don't know about you, but I would like to receive an understanding and even receive commandments from God about how we are to do life together. Because I don't know if you're willing to admit it, but so oftentimes I myself know that I fall short in treating one another in the way I know God has asked me to treat one another. And so in February, we're declaring that we're receiving revelation, instruction, and commandments from God about how we are to do life together. And we are also declaring in February that we are leveling up in our relationships. We're declaring that we're leveling up in our friendships, that we're leveling up in our marriages, that we're leveling up in our connection to our kids, that we're leveling up in our fellowship, For those of you who were here last week, we talked about unity in the church. Do you guys remember this? Because the type of church that Jesus is actively building is a unified church, not a divided and divisive church, not a gossiping church, not a murmuring church, not a backbiting church, but a unified church. You guys remember this? One heart, one soul. That's a Super Bowl chant if I've ever heard one. That's the holy huddle right there in Jesus' name. So we are believing, church. We are leveling up in our relationships in February. And to understand these things, we are going to the New Testament, and we are looking at the 100 references in the New Testament scriptures of the words, one another. There's 100 references in 94 New Testament passages of Scripture about this word, one another, which in the Greek, it's not two words like it is in English. It's just one word. Anybody remember it in the Greek? Are you serious? Is it on the screen? I was about to say. Man. Man, that was inspiring. Alelone. Everybody say it with me. Alelone. That's the Greek word for one another. One another. And in all of these passages of Scripture in the New Testament where alelone is mentioned, 47, so almost 50% of the time that alelone is mentioned in the New Testament, it is embedded within a commandment. Everybody say a commandment. We all know what a commandment is, right? It's something that God prescribes 
and requires and commands us to perform. So we need to remember that whenever God gives us a command, by ignoring the command, we are ignoring God. And I don't want to ignore God. How about you? This is one of the reasons why in the Hebrew Scriptures we see here, hear, O Israel, right? You remember that? The Hebrew word is Shema. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one Lord. This, I, I teach my kids this at night before they go to sleep. But that word Shema, hear, 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 it actually implies action. So when, whenever God says, pay attention, he expects you to take action on whatever it is that he says after he says, hear. And if you don't take action on what you've heard, he sees that as never hearing it at all. So whenever God gives a command, he expects a response. And 47 times in the New Testament, God gives us a command and he expects a response as to how you and I are supposed to do life with one another. How we're supposed to treat each other. How we're supposed to love each other. How we're supposed to forgive each other. And we talked about a ton of that last week in unity. And that's what we hit on as our first theme of this month. Let's look at the four themes real quick. Because if you take the 94 verses of Scripture and you categorize them into four themes, you'll get these four. Last week, we talked about unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. This week, we're talking about love for one another. Everybody say love. Love. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. You've got 24 hours (laughs) to get ready, get ready, get ready. Number three is about humility towards one another. Everybody say humility. humility. We'll talk about that next week. And then lastly, it's edification of one another. Everybody say edification. Edification. Encouragement. Building up, not tearing down. How many of you guys know love looks like something? It looks like building people up, not tearing people down. Amen? So today what I want to do is I want to talk about love from the topic of what holy love requires. What holy love requires of me. Everybody say me. So we're talking about the commandments of God in the New Testament. And when I say holy love, I mean the love of Christ. When I say holy love, I mean biblically prescribed love. When I say holy love, I say allowing God to determine the definition of love and not the culture. Talking about that kind of holy love And by being disciples of Jesus, receiving his prescription for holy love for one another, how you and I are supposed to respond. So I want to talk about what holy love requires. And uh, following suit with this sermon series, we're going to be reading all of the 94 verses of Scripture in the New Testament for one another. That's a lot of Bible. Are you guys good with it? All right, so today I have 15, and I'm going to try to move through them pretty quickly. But the first one is John chapter 13, verse 34. These are red letters, Jesus talking. A new commandment. Everybody say new. New. I give to you. That you love one another, just as I, who's I? Have loved you. You also are to love, everybody say My bad. 
love should have teed you up better. My bad. Love one another. Y'all help me preach this today. So when you see uh, this passage here in John 13, Jesus speaking, he says, a new commandment I give to you. When you see that Jesus is giving a new commandment, uh, it piques my curiosity, and I think, well, if Jesus is giving a new commandment, then what's the old commandment? Because how many of you know Jesus is famous for upgrading how we do life and how we think, particularly about one another? So in the book of Leviticus, in a different portion of Scripture where God is prescribing commandments, he gives what Jesus is referring to as the old commandment. But Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so when Jesus says the old commandment, which you know of, which is from Leviticus 18, which is from the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I do love me. How about you, right? Like, you love you. I'm not saying do you love me. I'm saying do you love you, right? You love you, but you have certain days, right, where you don't love you. And so I would think that when you're having a bad day, it would significantly diminish your ability to love one another. Because Leviticus says, I want you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that's why Jesus gives us an upgrade and he says, this is a new commandment. You've heard it said that you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love you. But now I say you're supposed to love your neighbor as I love you. And, it, and it, I mean, it would be impressive if you could love somebody else like you love you. But Jesus gives us this upgrade, and he says, no, no, that's not even good enough. I'm going to give you grace to love one another the way I love you. Now, that's a significant upgrade, because when I'm having a great day, I might be able to love you pretty well. But no matter how well I can love you, there is nothing that I could do that could ever compare to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on the cross so that we could have eternal life in his name. And yet, that is the standard that Christ sets for our communities for how we are to love one another, that we get our definition of what love looks like from the cross. There is no greater definition of what love looks like than the cross of Calvary. You can look in a dictionary, but you'll see words. If we look in the Bible, we'll see a picture. We'll see an illustration. We'll see a story of a man named Jesus who took a three-mile hike out of town carrying his own old rugged cross onto a mount called Golgotha where he hung high, stretched out wide, bled out completely in a broken body, and gave himself for you and I. That, my friends, is the best definition of love that humanity has ever or ever will receive. That is what love looks like. You want to know what love is? Look at the cross. You want to know what love looks like? Look at the cross. You want to know what love feels like? Look at the cross. That is what love is, and that's what Jesus comes to show us what God is like. God loves you, and this is what that love looks like. How many of you guys are ready? You're like, I'm getting an upgrade in love today. Yeah. Valentine's Day 2022, Super Bowl Sunday was good to me. Yeah. Let's go to the second one. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Also, words of Christ. 
that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, this is my command, Jesus again, love each other. Now let's go to Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Man, that's good. You know, you think about all of the commandments. I, if I could just do everything, if I could just, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, God says, here's how to cover all that. Just love people. Just love people. Love people with that kind of love that you witnessed on the cross. Just love people like that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 says, And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. May the Lord make you. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it, church? You're like, I don't want to love that person. Like, I have been tested and tried by that person enough. I'm trying to break up with this person, trying to get as far as I can from this person. And the Lord's like, no, nah, I'm going to make you love them, forgive them, show them honor, forgive them again, love them again, sacrifice for them again. If you're a parent in here, you can say amen. All the new parents are like, what are you talking about? It's so cute. Let them get six. Come upstairs and turn off that game. It's time for dinner. Isaiah this week, I will not turn off this game. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Turned right into Jeff Phillips. That's my dad. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, everybody say passionately, from a pure heart. That's what it means passionately from a pure heart. 1 John 3 and 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I'm just thinking about Jesus saying, uh, you are the son of Satan because he is a liar, and you yourselves have become liars. He's talking about, he's talking to religious people who never miss church, who always tithe and always serve. Wow. Right? Going to church is not what makes one a son of God. Here we see in Scripture that we qualify ourselves to be a part of the family of God by how we treat wow. other human beings. Wow. Not how often we go to church, not how big the checks that we write that we put in the bucket are, not how often we serve, not how anointed that we appear to be, but how kind and loving and forgiving and how patient we are. This is so important. This is why we read in the next one, 1 John 4, 7, uh, let us love one another and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. My bad, that's the same one. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It just makes me think, the more spiritual maturity that we confess, the more love for other people that we should manifest. Yeah. 
if you confess to be spiritually well-developed, then that should show up in how you treat your community. Because if you're an anointed jerk, I might wonder what spirit you've been anointed by. Are you talented or are you kind? Are you, are you just gifted or are you gentle? Because these things matter and they prove the love that we have for God. First John, no, my bad, second John, there's so many scriptures, I'm getting confused. Second John 1 and 5, um, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that means from Christ, that we would love one another. Galatians 5 and 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve. Everybody say serve. Serve, serve one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter 5 and 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I remind my wife of this scripture all the time. <laughs> you know, in order for something in the Bible to become a doctrine, it has to show up at least twice. What I learned in the study of one another is that the encouragement for us to kiss one another shows up four times. That, that's weird. Nobody kiss me, please. <laughs> I, I'm just observing, right? Culturally, it's inappropriate. But biblically, Paul seems to cosign. <laughs> Maybe that, okay? It's a little, it's a holy kiss. Listen, I learned my lesson when I first got saved on this. Um, see, I thought all Christians were just really pure, you know? And uh, when I first got saved, I was 21, you know, single in a larger church. And I would just kiss all the girls. And I'm not talking about on the mouth or anything. I'm just like on the forehead or on the head. And I was like, oh, sister. <laughs> You're amazing. God. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm dead serious. I did not know. I thought it was completely appropriate. Like, I thought all Christians were, like, really pure-minded. And then my prayer pastor was like, bro, you got to stop, man. Like, there's several women in the school of ministry that are having dreams that you're supposed to be their husband. Like, you're sending the wrong signal, bro. What? What am I doing? You can't kiss the single women. Oh. Now I have a biblical defense. I wasn't wrong, but also, I, I don't think I was right either. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can, you can be right and wrong at the same time. It's possible. So don't start kissing people in here, okay? That's going to be weird. We're going to have to talk to Paul about that when we get to heaven. So when you say kiss, Paul, what do you mean? Like a, 
kind of like a French thing, but not a French kiss, all right? So just... I don't know who's going to preach on this doctrine, but somebody needs to, because I don't know what he's talking about. All right, last verse of Scripture, all right? At least in the list, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You want to compare? You want to compete? Here's the biblical way you compete. Outdo one another in showing honor to people. If you want to compete in something, try to outdo one another in blessing other people in a, in a pure way, in a holy way, in an honorable way. I think by reading these 15 verses of Scripture, there is something that is made abundantly clear, church. Jesus is building a church filled with sons and daughters that love one another. Like, there is a reason why the early church would greet one another with, hey, brother, hey, sister. This is not religious terminology. They, and you can, you can study this. Uh, there's a book by Hellerman called When the Church Was a Family. I would highly encourage anybody who's like real nerdy to pick it up because it's so good. But it teaches us about the early church and how they related to one another. In a Middle Eastern culture, your family was very, very important to you, far much more than we see family today in westernized societies. And so when the early church was saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, they were looking at their spiritual family as just as sacred as their natural family. When we say blood is thicker than water, they were looking at the blood of Jesus Christ that tied them to their spiritual family with the same degree of strength as a natural family. Now, that would change the game, wouldn't it, if we looked at one another like that? That is the type of church that Jesus is building. So let's just define love a little bit better, okay? Because there's a lot of scriptures that include the word love, and I'm sure you guys have all heard a teaching on biblical love. I'm, I'm almost positive. I don't know why this is the case, but it seems as though to make it into the fraternity of preachers, you have to teach on biblical love. I mean, if you go on YouTube, there are so many sermons on love. You've got phileo love, which means friendship. Everybody say friendship. You've got eros love, which means romantic love. Everybody say romantic. And then you've got agape love, which is that holy love. Everybody say holy love. Right? Everybody's heard a sermon on when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Right? You've heard that. I'm sure you've heard that. If you've been a Christian for two weeks, you've heard that sermon. Because Jesus is like, Peter, do you agape me? You got that holy love for me. And, and, and Peter responds. He said, Lord, you know I phileo you. He says, I got that friendship love for you. And then he goes back and he says, no, no, Peter, do you got that agape love for me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I got that phileo love for you. And then he goes back, no, no, Peter, do you agape me? And then Peter says, Lord, only you know if I agape you. Okay, we'll feed my sheep. And I, I think it's a great sermon about love, but I also think it's a great sermon about redemption. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored Peter three times. No matter how many times you try to run from him, church, he's going to find you, and he's going to restore you. And that's how good God is. And that's how much that agape is coming for us. That agape hits different. 
So if you look in these 15 verses of Scripture, you'll see agape is used quite a bit as well as um, another, another word. It's agapeo. Everybody say agapeo. If you're ever wondering the most used Greek word for love in the New Testament, it is agapeo. Agapeo means goodwill. Everybody say goodwill. It also means to prefer. Everybody say to prefer. I'm just, I know it's a lot of info, so I'm just trying to keep you engaged. You guys good? It means to prefer. It means to show goodwill. This tells me that agape is grounded in action. Everybody say action. You guys, you guys getting it? Agape, holy love, is grounded in action. Whereas culture's love is grounded in feelings. We're going somewhere. If you look at the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, you Google love, define. What you're gonna see is that the dictionary would define love as an intense feeling of deep affection. That's the way the dictionary would define love. An intense feeling of deep affection. Now, I want you to know that the way in which the dictionary defines love is also the way in which the Bible defines love. The Bible just goes a little bit deeper. It is not anti-biblical to define love as a feeling. It's just incomplete. Because our culture just thinks of love in one way, right? It's just a feeling. Oh, I feel. I'm in my feels. I feel like I love her. And then two weeks later, I feel like I no longer love her. I feel like I love her now. Right, that's the way culture defines love. But the way the, the Bible defines love is so much more thorough. It's so much more layered. It's so much more nuanced. It's so much more diverse. It's so much more holy. Because it includes feelings, but it also goes beyond feelings. It moves us into a place of action. Everybody say action. And this is, the one, of, this is one of the reasons why preachers read the most infamous passage of Scripture at weddings about love. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, but that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding recently, you've heard these eight verses of Scripture read out loud. I'm gonna read them to you again because it provides us with a wonderful definition, a very thorough definition of agape. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you endeavor to be a preacher, you wanna be a minister, you wanna prophesy, you wanna minister in Jesus' name, if you preach great but you don't love well, here's what your preaching sounds like. A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Nobody cares how much you know until they feel how much you care. We, we, we love that you're smart, but we're wondering, do you care? You're impressive, but are you intimate? These things matter. And if, if I have prophetic powers, 
And I understand all mysteries, all knowledge. I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love. I am nothing, Paul says. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And you guys know what I'm talking about when I say that. Somebody makes a mistake, somebody messes up, and for whatever reason, your heart flutters a little bit with joy. You ever celebrate the downfall of another person? That's the exact opposite of holy love. Oh, I'm so pleased to see them failing. You guys know what I'm talking about. We don't talk about that publicly, but it happens in our heart if we're honest. And Paul's telling us that is not love because love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all all things because love never ends. It never runs dry. It never runs out. It never fails is what the Bible says. And so to help express and identify all the definitions of love from this one passage, I made another chart. You guys know I like charts. So I made one for you here. And this week it is what love is, and what love is not. It is yay and <laughs> you guys remember that from last week. So here's what love is. Love is patient, meaning love perseveres with one another. Another way of saying that is that love is long-suffering. You know what that means? Love suffers for a long time if it has to. Love is patient. Love is also kind, meaning love is gentle. Think about how gentle the Holy Spirit is with you. That's how gentle God wants us to be with one another. Love rejoices in what is true about one another. What is true about you? It's what God has to say about you. So one of the ways that we can do this well is by listening to God when we pray concerning what he has to say about other people. And when we receive revelation from him about how he feels about them, we rejoice in that truth and we proclaim that truth and we edify with that truth. And even when people don't feel that it's true, we remind them of that truth because that's what love does in community. Love covers and protects one another. Listen, I may fight with my family, but I'm not gonna let you fight with my family. I'm gonna cover my people. I'm gonna protect my people. I'm gonna cover my church. I'm gonna protect my church. I'm gonna cover my friends. I'm gonna protect my friends. I'm gonna cover my pastor. See, I, I threw one of those in last week as well. I just... I don't let people talk about my church the same way I don't let people talk about my mama. I'm serious. Somebody starts talking bad about the church, I just look at them sideways like, are you serious right now? Like you're gonna talk about the church in my presence like that? 
How would you respond if somebody was talking bad about your mama? All right, that point ain't going nowhere, but that's... I think it was Cyprian of Carthage. I know that sounded very pithy, didn't it? Um, said that it's impossible for anyone that has God as their father not to have the church as their mother. So, if you wouldn't let people talk about your mama, don't let people talk about your church. Man, that was one of them little pastor points that no one cared about but me. Cool. All right, yeah, we hear you. All right, you ready to get off your soapbox? All right, cool, we ready. All right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, love has hope and great expectations for one another. That is good. We have hope for each other. Come on, you can do it. I'm encouraging you. I have great expectations for you. You're living. The breath of life is in your lungs. God has a word over your life. He's promised things for you. I believe the best for you. Come on, I'm encouraging you. Love continues to support one another. When everybody else is kicking them when they're down, you give them a call and try to lift them up. Love never ends, never falls, or never fails. All right, now let's look at what love is not. Everybody say, boo. Love is not jealous of one another. Secondly, love is not braggadocious. Y'all know what that means, right? To make yourself look better than one another. You know, I, I, I've noticed that whenever I talk to a really, really good leader, I always hear and feel how important I am. But I notice when I talk to a bad leader or a bad manager, I always hear and feel how important they are. That's bragging. I'm the biggest, I'm the best, just trying to remind you that you are smaller than me and not as important. That's not love, and that's arrogant, and it's being puffed up to make one another look and feel small. Anytime you move in your mind, you're like, you intend on making this person feel smaller than you, and you intend on reminding them of their position before you, you're moving in the opposite direction of holy love. Love is not rude. It's not dishonorable towards one another. Love is not selfish. Love doesn't control other people so that you can get your own way. That's not love. That's manipulation. Love is not irritating and abrasive, meaning it doesn't provoke one another to anger. Love is not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs toward one another. And that right there is one of those things that you should remind your spouse of the next time you get in an argument and they bring up old stuff. Y'all think I'm joking. That ain't holy love. So you got a file folder on everything. I mean, that's never happened to me, not my wife, but I'm just saying. But we do that, don't we, guys? We, we remember all these things, and, and, and it's, it's, not that, it's not that it's bad to remember, but it's bad to be unforgiving. Yes. All right, last one. Love uh, what love is not is it is not celebratory when one another does wrong. It's not celebratory. So what you see here is like what love is, what love is not. Uh, you'll notice that it's connected to our behavior. Everybody say action. It's connected to our action because remember, holy love 
requires action. If you're looking at cultural love, it simply requires feelings on the right day when you're in the mood. That's all it requires. But um, holy love is more than a feeling. It is a choice. Let me say it again. Holy love is more than a feeling. It is a choice. Now, before I get too deep in the weeds on feelings and choices, I do want to remind you that love as a feeling is absolutely biblical. Love as a feeling is not anti-biblical. Love as a feeling is absolutely biblical, but there is more to love than our feelings. Love makes its way into our actions, and if we're truly going to choose to express holy love to one another the way the Bible prescribes, that love has to make its way into our actions. It's so important that we understand this. And it's also so important on Valentine's Day that we remember that the Bible not only supports love as a feeling, but it also celebrates love as a feeling, all right? Particularly in the Old Testament. I mean, if you really want to get biblical on Valentine's Day, take your wife out for a nice dinner tomorrow night, come back home, crack open the Song of Solomon. And you will get in touch with some biblical love. (laughs) Hey, it's right there in the Bible, man, I'm telling you. That's a perfect time to bring those keys in right there. (laughs) I I was reading Song of Solomon this week, and there was one phrase that stuck out to me, and I just thought, that is so crazy. I'm going to say that to my wife and see how she looks at me. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. Bro, what are you talking about? That's that holy love. That's that eros love. That's that romantic love. Here's what biblical love is. Biblical love is a continual, intentional commitment to show affectionate action towards one another. Let me say it again. Biblical love is a continual, intentional commitment to show affectionate action towards one another. Do I need to read it again? All right, I'm going to get it again. Biblical love is a continual, intentional commitment. Everybody say commitment. To show affectionate action, everybody say action, Action. towards one another. It is a commitment to action, not an acknowledgement of feelings. Agapeo is, is love of the will. It's love of choice. It's love of the will. It's not just love of feelings. It includes feelings, but it is love of the will. If we only love when we feel like it, we're not gonna love very often. And if we believe that the sole definition of love is found in our feelings, you're going to really struggle when you read through the Bible because you'll be alarmed by how often God commands you to love. And when I see God commanding me to love, I'm like, God, how can you say that? How can you legislate love? You ever wonder that? Like when it says, you shall love me. I'm like, God, how can you force me to love you? How can you legislate love? God's like, because I define love. 
I created love. I established love. I founded love. I am love. And because I live inside of you, I can lay hold of what I've put in you, and I can require you to do what I've done because I live in you, and you are my disciple. Therefore, I will show you how to do it, especially even when you don't feel it. And when God says, I'm commanding you to love, you shall love. You shall love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. You must love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. I mean, I've been reading these scriptures for years thinking, God, how can you legislate this love? And it's because he defines love as we know it. Therefore, he can do it. It's all defined through the cross. And it's all finds its basis not in feeling but in action. Not in feeling but in action. Like, have you ever tried to force yourself to feel something? Doesn't work, does it? Has anybody been successful in forcing yourself to feel something? Because I haven't. If you have, please come up afterwards and lay hands on me, do one of them holy kisses. I don't care what it takes. Right, I have never been successful in forcing myself to feel anything, but I definitely can make an intentional commitment to affectionate action towards one another inspired by the grace of Jesus through the cross. This is why he can command love, because he can command action. And you know what I've noticed? As I have given myself over to the action of loving other people, is that whenever I obey Jesus, I say, okay, yes, I, I receive your word into my heart, to love this other person. Here's what I also receive. I receive his feelings about that person so that as I serve them, my eyes start to open up a little bit and I start to see them the way he sees them and it's much easier for me to show affection and have love for them because I'm loving them not in my own strength, but I'm loving them in accordance to his spirit. So try it out, give it a shot. All right, let me give you some points. We gotta close up. You guys ready for some quick points? You guys ready to go, go eat chicken wings? I am. I'm going to be honest with you. That's, that's why I love most about the Super Bowl. Chicken wings and halftime. But we got to get these five points out of the way. All right. What actions does holy love require me, everybody say me, to choose? Because it's a choice. Like, you don't have an excuse after today's service on whether or not we love one another. You just get the option of choosing. You can either choose obedience to God's word, and we can pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help, or you can say, nope, I reject it. I say, no, I'm not gonna love people the way Jesus has called me to love. We have that choice. But this is what holy love requires. This is number one. We must choose to sacrifice, and we must choose to suffer for one another. And I know that's heavy hitting right off the bat, but that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Look at John chapter 15. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for a friend. That means to sacrifice and to suffer. This is what Jesus did for us. Above all else, he gave his life for us. Loving one another, church, contains a cost. I wish that wasn't the case, but the cross contains a cost, and loving each other, if you're gonna do it consistently, you're gonna have to sacrifice, and you're gonna have to suffer. 
I'm sorry that's just the way that it is because that's what holy love looks like. And let me ask you one quick question. Is it really a sacrifice if you expect something in return? If you love people with an expectation of something in return, that's not intimacy, that's a transaction. That's business, that's not holy work. Number two, we must choose to serve one another. If, if you really wanna take action on loving one another, we must choose to serve one another. And there's many ways to do that, but primarily we have this thing called the team. Showed you guys a slide in the beginning, we'll show it to you again. Um, that's right, it is one of my sermon points. Uh, because I think for us as a, listen, we're a charismatic church. Did you guys notice that? Probably did, I mean, within the first few minutes. Uh, we're a charismatic church. And one of the temptations of a charismatic church is to come to church strictly for what you can get. We're aware the Holy Spirit's moving, and so we come to church surely for entertainment. Man, I want the glory goosebumps. Woo, church was great. But we don't always think about what we can do to give. Are you hearing me? Are you tuning me out? Listen, I know, I, know it's t- I know it's tough. You start talking about serving, but listen, I know, I know the proclivity of our style of church or with the worship. It's like, oh man, I wanna come to get and I wanna come to receive and I wanna come. Listen, you have more to offer than you think. And it doesn't matter if, it's, if it seems small or it's big. Listen, we want everybody serving together so that we can build up the whole so that everybody can do the work of the ministry and come to maturity in that of Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 4 says. All right? So, listen, if you haven't signed up to serve yet, sign up to serve. We want you as part of the team. We need you as part of the team. I'll be honest with you. We need you as part of the team. You know, sometimes we're like, yeah, do it if you want. No, actually, we need you. You know why? Because we, we need at some point to start a third service. I know that seems a little crazy, but have you tried parking here? <laughs> have you came late and tried to check in your kids? Yeah. Then you know what that's like because we hit capacity every week in kids' ministry. We are way beyond capacity in parking every single week. And that, those two things, maybe there's some chairs in here, but those two things actually necessitate, we needed to start a third service months ago, but we can't, and I'll tell you why, we don't have enough people serving. So we're gonna hit it hard over the next month. I'm just gonna prepare you, all right? If you don't wanna serve, now's your time to get off the bus. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna be like, man, I didn't even wanna go to that church anymore, man. They're hitting it too hard. Listen, if it wasn't in the Bible, I'd feel bad. Listen, I'm not an offensive preacher. You know why? Because the Bible's offensive enough. (laughs) All right, last few points. Number three is this. We must choose to sustain in our love for one another. Y'all remember this? Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother that has sinned against me? Can't I write him off and cancel him and ghost him and leave him? Seven times? Jesus said to him, no, no, I do not say to you seven, but 77 times you gotta forgive him. Jesus knew Judas was gonna betray him and still washed his stinky feet. Sustaining our love for each other. Point four, we must choose to show honor for one another. I'm gonna come back to this one, but let me just hit the fifth point real quick. You don't have a choice. I mean, you do have a choice, but not if you wanna be a Christian because we're actually obligated. We're obligated by the blood of Christ to serve one another. 
We are. We're provoked. We're, we're, we're compelled. I, I know sometimes we're like, well, I'm not really called. I'm not really called to, uh, I'm not really called to serve anybody. And I'm not back just on the serve team, but like, I'm just, I'm just not called. I'm not called to uh, love people. I'm not called. Listen, no, you're not called. You're caused. When the Holy Spirit's moving in you, I can promise you the most natural manifestation is love for your neighbor. All right, last thing I want to hit on. Um, we're, we're called to show honor for each other, church. We're called to show honor. And, and here's, here's why we show honor. Because we always handle things differently that are valuable. Wow. You ever bought a new pair of shoes? You're very sensitive where you wear them. You, you, you know, you're walking through crowded areas like, you know, you're like, you don't, don't anybody step on my fresh new whites. You know, it's like, you're, you're, you're just, the way you handle something's different when it's valuable to you, right? So how do you handle the person sitting next to you? How you handle them is actually an expression of the value you have for them. And if the value you have for them is different than the value that Christ has for them, who needs the upgrade? So how valuable is the person sitting next to you? I'll tell you what informs their value most, the blood. The blood of Jesus determines your value. And if you look at what it costs Jesus to determine that value, you would know you're priceless. Person sitting next to you is priceless. They're invaluable. And that should inform us of how we treat one another. Show honor. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.